The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us this week here at the Crude Life Week in Review, a place where we put together some of the best interviews for the past week that are always available at thecrudelife.com. But till then, we have them right here for you on the radio, maybe the podcast, if you're happening to listen to this later on after the radio gets done airing it. Because, you know, we have this thing called the Internet now where everything's on demand afterwards. So if you go to your radio station's website, they have all kinds of information and past content. Check it out. See what's going on in your local community. In today's day and age, the radio station seems to be the most tapped in to the local communities. And I'll tell you why. Remotes. They still get out to the people. They still get out and do interact, that sort of things. I came from the old newspaper magazine side of things where we ran, you know, we were behind a desk. And then when I got into the radio side of things, because I did all three mediums for about 15, 20 years, the radio really introduced me to the remotes, getting out and being with the people. So check out your local radio station's website, see what's going on there. Maybe reach out to those salespeople even and see what's happening because nothing, I'll tell you what, nothing can drum up some business like a good old-fashioned radio remote. Whew, I, t- I saw it with my own eyes, first hands over and over and over again. And this is, t- trust me, the radio station's not paying me a dime. This is coming to you from life experience. Okay, now... That was a really long way to say we've got a fantastic show for you today, and I want to get right to the show, so let's take a look at what's on the docket. Terry Edom, author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, also a writer at the BOE Report. He has his own blog, too, Public Energy Number 1, gives us an update from Canada. You see, he lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, so I like to check in occasionally to see what's going on with the international perspective. And boy, we got into talking about the free market versus government intervention. One hand, you got Mike Summers, president of the API, saying no bailouts. And on the other hand, you got the CEO, Matt Gallagher from Parsley Energy, talking about, hey, maybe we should have government intervention. Since then, Oklahoma, Texas, and North Dakota are now having public discussions whether the states should be controlling production, which is not a new thing, but it's a new thing for the new normal. Let me tell you what, folks, that is a topic that we're going to continue talking about here. And Terry Edom has got his thoughts and his insight coming up and just international insight coming up just a little bit later on in the program. But first, we're going to talk with Mr. Curtis Shuck. He's with the Well Done Foundation. He's been in the oil and gas industry for about 30 years, so many of you may know his name. He's now Shutting Wells in basically abandoned wells. I know there's some specific terminology, so I do apologize. I'm going to reset and say what he's doing is dealing with abandoned and orphan wells. And so he's reclaiming them, shutting them down, shutting them in, that sort of thing. It's the abandoned orphan well talk coming up. Why don't we do it right now? Let's do that, folks. 
Mr. Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation right here on the Crude Life Week in Review. Yes, good morning. This is Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation in Bozeman, Montana. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Curtis Shuck and myself, we go back about seven, eight, nine years. Of course, I remember you were one of the first ones I met out in the Bakken at a conference. Back then, you were doing some stuff with the, um, I think it was the Port of Vancouver in Washington back in the day. We had a correspondent we sent out there, and they, they learned a lot. So, I, first of all, I just wanted to set the context that uh, my relationship with you, whether you know it or not, has been very educational through the years because of the access and just kind of the collaboration that, you know, we've done on, I don't know, maybe two, three times total, something like that. But they've been very good in a way to understand the industry. So how's that for an intro, Mr. Curtis Shuck? How you doing? Well, I appreciate it, Jason, for sure. And, you know, continue to do amazing work and, and uh, you know, get the word out there and provide really useful information to the industry and to, you know, kind of, you know, the citizenry at large. And it's important to get that level of perspective. And I appreciate, you know, again, the work you do. I know it's, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those unsung hero type programs. And, uh, and I really appreciate it because it's, it's important. Well, I was looking at the Bozeman Daily Chronicle because, of course, I read that publication every day. No, I'm doing a search course for oil and gas news, and it came up, and I recognized your name right away, so I clicked on it. And it has to do with the Well Done Foundation, and I thought this is a, this is a fantastic organization, a fantastic concept, a fantastic movement that I really believe needs to have more attention. And so appreciate you coming on today to talk a little bit about this. Now, you've been in the industry for, what, 20, 30 years now? Yeah, 30, 30 years in some shape or form. You know, actually, my first oil and gas job was uh, back in the day up on the North Slope in the summer of 1982. So I guess that's probably a little more than 30 years. But uh, but I've enjoyed, you know, lots of various aspects, you know, uh, much time, as you mentioned, in the port industry and focused on transportation of, of uh, oil and gas related products and services and um you know, enjoyed, oh gosh, uh, five years in the Bakken, and uh, finally ended up uh, here in Bozeman, Montana. Well, I know that this abandoned wells, I think, is just a fantastic, uh, whether it be a social cause or whatever you want to call it in the energy industry, but being, being you know, growing up in North Dakota and uh, being in the Bakken, I guess, uh, there's not a lot of, you know, abandoned wells and, and that sort of thing because of the, the history of tracking of the geology behind it and the legislative process etc you know it wasn't until i started doing some investigation of ohio and some of these other areas of course where this was you know back when they were doing you know probably actual shovels getting getting some stuff out of there so this is a real issue and then i look at california and there's thirty five thousand abandoned wells alone that they know about just off of the bankruptcies and the number of things so this is uh, uh, something that's going to be on the increasing forefront over the next 10 years. So let's talk a little bit about the issue, how you came about with this organization, and just kind of let's get into this uh, topic a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, I certainly appreciate it. And, you know, so kind of the, the 
my background in in setting up the the Well Done Foundation uh, began up in uh, a legacy field in northern Montana, the Keevan Sunburst Field, which was first developed in the early 1920s. In fact, their discovery well was 1921. And I was, uh, had been doing some work up there with the Port of Northern Montana and Toole County, uh, working on some agricultural-related uh, transportation initiatives uh, for that organization. Mr. Curtis Shuck, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause when we come back. We'll continue the conversation with Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including SARS and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Call Titan Solutions today for your disinfected ULV fogging, wipe-down, electro-spraying, commercial, industrial, medical lodging, decontamination needs. That's Titan Solutions. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 970-539-8066. Proudly serving the oil and gas industry using organic products, decontamination services, Titan Solutions. That's 970-539-8066. 539-8066. The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. Welcome back to The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Speece. Thank you folks for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation. Uh, working on some agricultural-related uh, transportation initiatives uh, for that organization. And as I was out in the field talking with farmers, uh, I had a chance to, again, sort of run across uh, many of these orphaned uh, or abandoned wells and was stunned and astonished and, and just befuddled that, you know, what I was seeing with my own eyes. I mean, I literally couldn't believe the condition of looking at, you know, uh, literally an open well bore. Um, that uh, was visibly emitting gases. And, and so as I started to look around and, and see in this, just this one particular field, you know, the numbers that were there, and as it turns out, uh, Toole County, Montana, has the largest number of orphaned wells. And so I started working with the Montana Board of Oil and Gas on the orphaned well issue and come to find out that, you know, they had a program that was marginally funded and, you know, just a challenge. And this challenge is not just uh, a Montana issue. As it turns out, there's 25 other states that are facing this, uh, this same issue. Montana has a relatively small number of orphan wells in, in the several hundred range. Uh, North Dakota currently has about 500. But, you know, you mentioned Ohio. 
you know, we're talking about uh, states like Pennsylvania that literally has over 700,000 uh, orphaned wells there. And so we started um, really digging into this issue and, and starting to test emissions uh, and found that the emissions off of the orphan wells, certainly in the Keevan Sunburst field there in northern Montana, were significant. Um, and then, you know, really, you know, digging into the science behind, you know, how uh, emissions are calculated uh, relative to greenhouse gas impacts. Um, you know, the, the fact is that, that methane has a what's known as a global warming potential of 25 times that of carbon dioxide. So all of a sudden, you know, what's a, a small problem becomes a huge problem. And then when you think about it across the sort of the cumulative impact, if you would, of all of these orphaned wells and the level of emissions, it gets to be pretty alarming. And so, you know, we uh, immediately started working, as I mentioned, with the Montana Board of Oil and Gas, and uh, they've been great partners uh, to work with. And And right now we've got a pilot program up in northern Montana. Uh, we've adopted uh, adopted uh, 12 wells so far. We're actually in the process of bringing on another 40-plus uh, uh, up in this particular field. We actually have to, uh, as an operator, uh, we actually end up having to uh, bond the wells. We pay the state, kind of crazy and backwards, but we pay the state to assume uh, the uh, responsibility, the financial responsibility to plug and abandon the well. And uh, and then we go about raising the money to, uh, to do that. Uh, right now, plugging a well in northern Montana in this particular field is is right around uh, right around thirty thousand dollars, kind of all in. And so uh, we've uh, plugged our first well, and uh, and are using that then as a post closure uh, monitoring control well, so that we're showing you know the impact, the positive impact that uh, that our program has. And uh, and now we're working in states such as Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas. We are formed in California, by the way, uh, as well as uh, as well as uh, Pennsylvania and Kentucky. We've had actually uh, organizations in eight states. In fact, uh, later today we're on our way to Kansas to meet with some team members down there. But you know, we're pretty excited at what this opportunity. Uh, can produce in terms of quantifiable benefit. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is that when we plug a well and, you know, the well plugging is done based on industry standards uh, approved by the various state oil and gas uh, regulatory bodies, that those emissions are stopped immediately. And so, you know, it's got a, it's got a huge impact in terms of benefiting, you know, the, the climate uh, program and again, depending on regardless, I should say, of where you're at, Jason, across that spectrum, whether you're a, you know, and I, I made the comment in the the Daily Chronicle of whether you're a climate crusader or a climate denier or a climate agnostic, it's still just the right thing to do, right? So we're we're super excited to have this opportunity. How about when it comes with some of this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus federal dollars? You know, I, I was reading, well, we had Brent Sanford on the program 
just last week, and he was talking about the amount of money that the federal government gave these states in order to shut in these wells or, you know, abandon wells type of a thing. Is that is that something that, that you can get involved in, or is that kind of what you're trying to get involved in? I mean, uh, I, obviously, I would imagine you'd, you'd be, be happy to get something like that, but is that anything that you could even be qualified for, or is that just for the operators or... Well, we're absolutely, and I, you know, we're we're an operator. You know, we enjoy operator status in the state of Montana and the other uh, states in which we're organized. And to the extent that uh, that there are funds such as that that are available, that's perfect. And and again, there the EPA estimates that there currently, well, actually, this was as of 2018. I think was their latest uh, update, but. As of 2018, there were 3 million orphaned wells across the U.S., you know, 3 million. And you mentioned earlier that with the current state of the industry being just decimated, that there's likely to be more, uh, you know, um, uh, bankruptcies that are going to lead to orphaned wells or abandoned wells. And and so this problem it is a huge problem nationally and you know it's uh, kind of an all of the above strategy to get these wells uh, dealt with in a way that really has some you know some meaningful impact and and so you know to answer your question yeah i mean i, I think from the well done foundation if there are funds like that that are available absolutely you know we'll look to that we we enjoy donations from uh, private and and uh, and uh, corporate entities, and so we appreciate that. But we're also working towards uh, carbon finance strategy, which will allow us then to monetize the work that we're doing and the and the benefit to the you know to the the climate through the emission uh, reduction of greenhouse gases. So I'd, I'd encourage folks to check out our website, to go to the welldonefoundation.com website and learn a little bit about what we're doing. Uh, There's some opportunities there on how to get involved. And, and, you know, obviously donating is great, but we also, uh, you know, we're also uh, have a volunteer program, which is actually super successful. You'd be amazed. And especially now with, you know, uh, COVID-19. To listen to the full length interview with Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, Terry Edom, the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, writer at the BOE Report, and blogger for Public Energy Number 1. Terry Edom, up next on the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. be your big stud. You can be Bugs Bunny, I'll be Elmer Fudd. I'll follow you, I think you know. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including 
SARS, and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 970-539-8066. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, the man, the author, the blogger, the writer, Terry Edom, the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, writer for the BOE Report, and blogger at his very own blog, Public Energy Number 1. This is Terry Edom. Morning. It's Terry Edom here. I'm the author of The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, a Canadian energy guy. Book is available at Amazon.com. Of course, you can check out his blog as well. He's one of the bloggers that actually became successful in the blog well by successful it's still around public energy number one (laughs) isn't that how we deem success in the blogging world if you're still around you're successful if you survive there's something like six thousand every day to get started so yeah i guess if you're around for a few years you're successful I remember back about 10 years ago, and of course, I compare the podcast revolution to the blogging revolution, but I think they said like after the sixth or 10th post on a blog, it was like a 95% abandonment rate where that was the (laughs) end of it. People realized, oh, it's a lot of work. Of course, writers thought, oh, you're just going to go do my full-time job in your spare time. Okay, good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. It's not easy. So let's get to the uh, uh, energy topic at hand here. I got kind of a couple for you. First off, uh, I want you to set the stage a little bit for those people who maybe don't understand your perception when it comes to energy. You're a Canadian, so you're up north. Mm-hmm. You are, you're in yep. Alberta. Is that right, Alberta? I'm correct. In Cal- that's correct. In, in, I'm in Calgary, yeah. Okay, so you're Cal- – oh, Flames. There you go, Calgary Flames. Are they still a hockey team? Yep. They, uh, well, it's sort of, you, if, you, if you call that hockey. No, they're actually pretty good. They have their ups and downs. Okay, so they didn't they're, move they're, like Winnipeg did and relocate. No, and that's correct. No, Quebec and all yeah. that. Okay, good. So, okay, it's been yeah. a while. I, I have a child who's 14, so, you know, I stopped paying attention to sports about 14 years ago. Um, it, we call it the toy department. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, just, you know, the, the energy is a little bit different in Canada than it is in America. Of course, America's more known for the private enterprise side of things, whereas in Canada, it's more known for the socialized, uh, uh, I guess, uh, side of things. So talk to me a little bit and set the table uh, what type of government and how energy is related, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. In, well, you, you, yeah, that, that's a good way to introduce it um, Canada's been the, the, Canada's always been kind of broken in parts most of the population lives out east which would be the equivalent of of your um, New York and California dominance of the certain inspectors of the media and, and and the power center of Canada has been in Ontario and Quebec uh, that's where the biggest population is they're the oldest part of it the west was settled uh, like like the US in the not that long ago, historically speaking, and it's just been a resource extractor by and large, with some tourism on the coast. And um, but the center of it has just been resources, and uh, so that's that's how it's developed. It's sort of in isolation, sort of quite regional. 
And as, as time has gone on here, that's just been uh, accentuated uh, as people get more urbanized in, in Ontario and Quebec and, and same as in the United States. Then the, the hinterlands just become the resource extractors and people kind of lose touch with that a bit. And then in Canada here, like you said, it's more socialistic and we jumped on the, um, the climate change bandwagon earlier here. And so the pressure has been building on Canada for more than a decade for sure. So probably coming on close to 20 years, I suppose. Pressure has been slowly building on the, the oil and gas sector. That hasn't happened in the United States. The, and the the biggest impact for the Canadian oil and gas sector is um, an inability to build any pipelines to get product out. So we've had a lot of growth in the oil sands, not lately, but over the past uh, decade. The early you know, 2000 and or 2000 to 2010 were very strong growth in the oil sands, and we were able to build some pipe at that time. And that's since changed. And on the natural gas side, we can't build any pipe either. So so Canada has all of this. Uh, enormous oil and gas resource base that you can't find a market except to existing uh, lines to the United States. The biggest difference with the United States from energy, the energy perspective is the, the United States underwent this massive shale boom and was able to build out the infrastructure to make all that happen. The Marcellus was able to connect, went from zero BCF nearly to 30 BCF a day and was able to build pipe to connect that to markets. The Permian took off and built uh, pipe and infrastructure to get that to markets. Offshore terminals were built for for natural gas, and uh, the United States became an exporter of, of those products in a huge way. Uh, so that, that that the free market side of the U.S. has allowed all that to happen, whereas Canada has been stagnant for a long time. So, so the it's a very long story. Sorry, but um, the the long and the short of it is now we've been kind of in this box for coming on years now since basically since the oil price crash of 2014. We've been struggling here, and the political pressure just mounted, gets stronger all the time. So I, th- I think in some ways the United States is catching up to us in that regard, in the pressure that's being applied to the industry. So, And it's not all bad. I don't mean to make it sound like that. There's tightening of emissions. There's less flaring. There's more attention paid to spills, and that sort of thing. There's um, definitely environmental benefits to it, but the the other side of it is just the um, ridiculous pressure that's being put on to try and wipe out the, the industry and, and the our own federal government in large just a good chunk of the federal ruling class politicians that really really don't like the oil and gas sector so uh, you see that on the Democrat side in the US with Bernie and Elizabeth um, and if they get the power then you might get a taste of what we get well, that's what I'm kind of wondering, and where I'm going with the next question is, I don't know how closely you're following the United States uh, oil and gas market. I assume you are, because you generally do. Oh, very closely. Uh, yeah. Early March, I want to say just right on the, even before the first bailout came, uh, they talked about an oil and gas bailout, and Mike Summers president of API was quick to come out in the media and say absolutely not and I kind of joked I said before the reporter even finished the question he just said nope and that really set the stage for kind of the old mentality of we don't take subsidies we don't take bailouts government stay out of things well uh, Parsley Energy's Matt Gallagher goes on CNBC couple weeks later and says you know maybe the texas railroad commission should step in and control production 
So you've, you've got this ideological crossroad happening, and where North Dakota just met the other day, had a public meeting on it. Oklahoma's had one. So you got three states now, three big states, Oklahoma, North Dakota, and Texas, talking about government-controlled production. Have you followed this? And as a Canadian, uh, do you got any advice or and or opinions on this? Uh, it, it's a tough spot. I, I totally understand the free market guys. Um, that I'm a free marketer myself, and, and ideally that's how things work best. That's the best allocator of capital. That's the best results you know, in the long run. Um, the, a reality that's hard to um, to for people to accept sometimes is that it's not a free market. The oil market is anything but a free market. And the U.S. produces 12 million barrels a day out of a global total of 100 million barrels a day. And that out of that 100 million barrels, the majority comes from heavily manipulated um, uh, producing countries that, that, that have government hands involved. And so that to, so to stand alone and be a free market um, adherent in a market that isn't a free market, it, it's a, it's 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 a, it just makes the fight that much harder because you're tying your hands behind your back without having a government go to bat for you or against you, I suppose. And we've been we've been forced to deal with that in Canada with the apportionment issues because we can't get our our um, product out of the country. So so some government intervention is necessary even to make help infrastructure get built and that sort of thing. So when you come to this weird place like we have in short order here if this hadn't if the coronavirus thing hadn't happened this would have played out in slower time and the u.s would have adapted to an oversupplied market by we've already seen the capital supply kind of dry up even to the um in the permian and some of the bigger areas that everyone's share prices are low the debt markets are harder uh, to access so um the, the, the supply of capital was shrinking and it would have it would have sorted itself out, but this is really a crisis time. No one's seen a demand collapse like this. So, to to um, for, for the the free market to sort through it, it it can be done, but is it necessarily the best way to do it? But if you ask for intervention, then you, or is that opening a can of worms? Um, but I, I do think that there's some level of intervention that just happens. Mr. Terry Edom, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. and we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Terry Edom, the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, writer for the BOE Report, and blogger at Public Energy Number 1. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. I want to show you something that's never been shown. The Fruit Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including SARS and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Call Titan Solutions today for your disinfected ULV fogging, wipe-down, electro-spraying, commercial, industrial, medical lodging, decontamination needs. That's Titan Solutions. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 
539-8066. Proudly serving the oil and gas industry using organic products, decontamination services, Titan Solutions. That's 970-539-8066. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Terry Edom, author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, writer for the BOE Report, and blogger at his very own blog, Public Energy Number One. We continue the conversation right now with Terry Edom. But I, I do think that there's some level of intervention that just happens globally, even if it's at the international level. There's There are things that, that happen which are um, interferences in the free market so it, it, it's a it's a very tough thing to do and i don't i don't have a definitive answer i think that apportionment uh, which we've seen in canada here where everyone just gets cut back proportionally can can work and in some ways it's it's fair but um yeah i, I understand the arguments against it though for sure well that's that's why i kind of wanted to have you on because you're one that understands that right now more than ever the importance of public discussion is needed because mm-hmm. we're so used to the polarizing way it's been over the last 10 years that right now, I mean, this is a major shift. This is a major shift. And, and like I said, you know, the example I give, I think, is very appropriate to where when it first came out, this was before the CARES Act. They were talking about a bailout because to your point from earlier, the oil and gas industry was getting hit before the corona shutdown, before the COVID-19 shutdown. Was, absolutely. You, you and I were talking about this last year. And yep. they, they can go back in the interviews and check them out at thecrudelife.com. Go to our different social media pages, check it out. But you and I were having this discussion last year about the energy industry having a very difficult year but we thought it was because of a 16-year-old girl with Asperger's going around the country, going around the world, talking about how oil and gas is killing babies. And that's what she was doing. I Actually, I watched some of the speeches she was giving. Wow. I, I get it. I get it now. Oh, yeah. That's that's incredible. I mean, she's a terrific performer. And Yeah, it's pretty inflammatory stuff. It is. It is. It's, it's aggressive. It is very aggressive. And the language is is something else. So, you know, be that as it may, um, that's where I wanted to go next with this. This is my concern. The environmental movement has gotten so big and it has gotten so influential in government that once that hand of government gets involved, like like you said before, where, where, does, where does it stop? And so I wanted to get your opinion on some something like this environmental wild card um, that is a very real thing uh, to where you actually in, in Canada have mentioned before that the queen owns the land. You guys just have the right to use it. And I thought, I think that's just an amazing way to look at it. You know, like, oh, wow. So to me, if that happens in the U.S., I kind of see that perception changing more like the Canadian perception than the American perception. And I think the oil and gas industry is symbolic of that. Anyway, so your thoughts on uh, my really long question turned into an opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'll give you my two cents on that. 
and one thing I'm going to jump in and I'm going to correct you and I'm going to ask you to to forevermore change your way of speech. <laughs> um, and I'm just joking, but uh, I think we need to stop talking about the environmental movement um, because I think that's creating a huge problem because we 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 hand the we hand the moral high ground to these people when we call them environmentalists. I know a lot of oil and gas people that are environmentalists. I know a lot of geologists that care more about the the, the care of the earth than anybody. And I think that there's an environmental movement and there's a climate change movement. And uh, there's there's the the oil and gas sector can be environmentalists as, as much as anybody else. The fact that we provide the fuel for the world to survive doesn't preclude us from being environmentalists the climate change movement is something totally different that's a political beast and i think they're using the environment as a means to a political end more government control more whatever else so i think that's a slippery slope but i think that the climate activist movement they love this when we call them environmentalists because we we make them sound like the enemy and they go oh look at that they don't like environmentalists by definition we're we're setting ourselves up for failure when we talk about them as the good guys. And, and, and I think that's just, um, I would love to just put a stake in the heart of that, uh, that tactic, um, because we can be environmentalists as much as they can. And when somebody, everybody uses the fuel, right? Everybody uses gasoline. Everyone uses natural gas, whether they know it or not, it's in everything we have. And when we do a better job of producing that and a cleaner job of producing that, we're the environmentalists. They don't have any right to that high ground by trying to kill off the industry. So I, I think that I, that's where I would like to reframe this whole debate. And then then it gets into the whole wider thing of the, the pressure that's being put on. Um, and, and I think that the Greta's of the world who, who control the, the media channels, for sure, um, they, they get their power from, from that because they've gotten away with that for so long. And that's going to do it for today's episode of the Crude Life Week in Review. I'd like to thank you folks for joining us here this week. Also like to thank Terry Edom, the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, writer at the BOE Report, and blogger at his very own blog, still going strong, public energy number one, Terry Edom. Also, Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation. Thank you very much for joining the program to talk about orphan wells, abandoned wells, one of the most serious problems going on right now in oil and gas so we appreciate curtis shuck for sharing some information about that worthy cause in the energy industry one more reminder folks every interview you hear right here on the crude life week in review is available at the crudelife.com that's the crudelife.com of course once again i'd like you to check out your local radio station's website See if there's any local businesses that you could possibly support. Maybe reach out to the advertising sales reps or the people who do the on-air personalities. Find out how you can get involved with their station, whether it be from advertising point of view. Maybe it's with helping them out on social media. Right now is the time where you should be extending your network and offering assistance where you can. Because sometimes assistance can come in a non-financial way. And boy... That can really help people get to that next level. Sometimes just a little bit of a pat on the back and how can I help helps people too. So just be aware this time of year as we enter into the summer, a lot of people are going to get busy. I'll tell you what, folks, a lot of people are listening to radio and podcasts, driving around, laying out on the beach, road tripping. I tell you what, folks, right now is a great time to contact your local radio station and find out how to get involved. 
For those people who are in the energy industry, and if you'd like to get involved with The Crude Life, feel free to drop me an email, jason at thecrudelife.com. We'll be back next week on this radio station at this time. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our social media pages. We've got Facebook. We've got Twitters. We've got LinkedIn and the YouTubes. We've got them all. Well, we don't have the Instant Gram yet or Instagram or whatever that's called. Soon, one thing at a time. Boy, we just can't, we, we can't do it all, folks. We can do as much as we can, though, as long as we keep trying. And that's really what we're asking you folks to do. Just keep trying out there every day. Right now, I realize it's a very unpredictable time. But as the energy industry knows, oil and gas especially, it's an unpredictable industry. So we need to be leaders right now. The energy industry, specifically oil and gas, needs to be leaders in your community. You are the ones who've been through uncertainty before. You are the leaders in your community. Quite a responsibility to have. All right, folks, that's going to do it this week. From the staff here at the Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including SARS and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Call Titan Solutions today for your disinfected, ULV fogging, wipe-down, electro-spraying, commercial, industrial, medical lodging, decontamination needs. 
That's Titan Solutions. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 970-539-8066. Proudly serving the oil and gas industry using organic products, decontamination services, Titan Solutions. That's 970-539-8066. 970-539-8066. 